Hello, and welcome to Back Issue Spotlight on the Comic Book Page Podcast. My name is John Mayer. In this episode, we'll be having a spoiler-filled discussion about an older comic book storyline. In this back issue spotlight, I'm joined by James, and we're going to discuss Spider-Man Life Story. James, how you doing tonight? I'm doing well. How are you doing, John? I am doing well. Now, this is a Spider-Man story, obviously. It's Spider-Man Life Story. Yes. And the conceit of this is, what if Spider-Man aged and had more or less the same sort of events as comics had, but they played out in, in real time? Yes. So... An adventure a month later, Peter's aged a month, etc. So this goes through multiple decades. Yeah, it's almost the same type of thing as the Savage Dragon did, but a little quicker in time. But yeah. Or in, in this particular case, maybe more effectively. Yeah, more effectively, but much more effectively. <laughs> when Eric Larson went really hardcore on the a month happens for every comic or whatever, he, he lost me between that in Savage Dragon and it going like a year or two with like two issues coming out. Yeah, I, I dropped off that and I couldn't get back into it. Yeah. And I think there's a difference between telling something in real time as you're writing it versus what they're doing here with Spider-Man Life Story of looking back at like 60 years of comics and saying, well, what if Peter aged over that time? Yeah. And one quick question before we took a deep dive into it. Did you pick this up in the single issues when it was coming out? No, I did not. Okay, I did, and I remember I, – I think we were still doing the monthly spotlight, or maybe we were doing individual comics. I don't remember you know, the weekly spotlight, but I remember way back when I was reading this, I really enjoyed it. I, I, I thought it was a terrific story, and so when, I went, when we went back and revisited it, I was like, it was still in my memory, which is a good sign because it's so easy to forget things when you know, we read the amount of material that we read, mm-hmm. and that it stuck in there told me it definitely was a good story. I had not read it until we did it for the book club. Well, I'm glad you got a chance to experience it then. Well, and that's the other conceit of this episode, is we did it for the book club, so I'm using that reading for this episode, too, because I'm lazy. No, I'm not. I just... <laughs> we, we hadn't done this. We'd read it for the book club. I figured, why not? And I will say flat out, I really enjoyed this story. Yeah, it was, it, it was a lot of fun. It was fantastic. Zadarsky can be hit or miss for me. Some of his stuff I'm really enjoying. Some of it, not so much. And a story like this, where it's, let's go over the highlights of, of Spider-Man's publishing history, you know, as it applies to Peter and stuff, but he ages. It's like, okay, maybe that works, maybe it doesn't. It's not an intrinsically captivating premise. Yeah. And this is not a perfect series, but it was a really highly, for me at least, highly enjoyable one. I would agree with you there. The star of this was definitely the writing. The art was... It's Mark Bagley, who's the, the penciler on here. Mm-hmm. It's not the best Mark Bagley I've seen, because he has some cleaner lines and some stuff he does. It, it, I, I know Andy Tom from the book club was saying it looked Russian, and it, and it does a little bit here and there. But overall, it, it was just terrific, and it felt like respect was given to the previous stories, because he would touch on the big topics from mm-hmm. each one of the decades as they came yeah. and And that's difficult to do. <laughs> I mean, not difficult, but difficult to do when you're doing the time jump and the aging and all that stuff. Well, it's difficult to do well. Yeah, to do well. That that would be it. Because there are certain things that happen in these six issues that when they were touched on in the comic, it was decades later and in a different way 
But if you're going to tell it in a real-time kind of a thing, like Flash going off to, to war and stuff, they did it Vietnam when he would have been the right age and stuff, versus the eternally youthful one in the 616 universe going to, I don't know, Iraq or wherever. Exactly. Yeah. Very cool. They hit some of those things and finagled the timeline to make sense with the characters aging. There are others where, like at one point, I mean, uh, Tony Stark shows up periodically in this. Yeah. And I think it was issue number five, we're in the, the 2000s or whatever. He's Secretary of Defense. Yeah, that was very clever. I like that. <laughs> well, it was interesting because in Tony's book at the time, in the 2000s, he was Secretary of Defense. Exactly. He was able to rope it in, and but it made sense with the age and the experience. I was going to say, the age and the experience, it made more sense here. It really did, where it, it almost came out of nowhere in the book. Here it makes sense because of the whole Civil War thing that was touched mm-hmm. on and all everything that he had done with, with the war in Vietnam and you know, the contracts with his father and him. And it just made so much sense for him to be in that position at this point in his life. Well, and this series touches on Civil War, Secret Wars, a number of other kind of high watermark stories over the decades. Yeah, we got the Clone Saga. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you got a little bit of everything of the highlights done very well in a tight, tight story. Well, and the Clone Saga was played on a couple of different times, like it was in the comics, and at about those same points. But while they were touching on it, the specifics of, okay, what's the twist of, you know, who thinks they're the clone, who doesn't think they're the clone, what's this reveal, what's that reveal, or whatever, they were different. Yes. But in a way that played well in this story and paid homage to what was published in the main continuity. Yeah, very much so. This was just so enjoyable to see how he pulled this off. And the art, it did reflect the aging of Peter. It reflected the aging of Mr. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of all the characters, it was just really cool. I mean... Some better than others. So yeah, some better than others. I mean, you got a lot of rogues, but there were definitely, we talked about notable rogues that were missing from Spider-Man's gallery. Well, this is Spider-Man's life story and his rogues gallery, which is one of the best out there in comics. There are a couple others I put right up there with it, Batman's, Flash's, but those characters were not the focal point of this series in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. And really got the short end of the script, i.e. some of them were not even really mentioned at all in this. One or two, just a panel or two in passing near the end. And it's funny because when this started out in the first issue, we quickly get Gwen and Professor Warren. And as I was reading through, it's like, oh, well, I'm sure we'll get the Clone Saga. I mean, we kind of have to. It's Spider-Man Life Story. You can't tell that without referencing the Clone Saga. And sure enough, they did. But then I was also thinking at that point, you know, that's probably the second most pivotal story after Spider-Man's origin slash Uncle Ben's death. Which we sailed right past and didn't, I mean, we mentioned, but it's like four years later when we start the story. So at that point, I'm like, well, there's a lot they can jump over. And I am no Spider-Man history expert, but it feels like during those first half dozen years or whatever, and I don't know exactly to what point it cuts off, that's where they introduced all, not all, but the majority of the classic rogues gallery, the Vulture, Doc yeah. Ock, Scorpion, Rhino. Uh, Sandman, uh, you know, all of those. Exactly. Yeah, they all pop up. <laughs> so if you skip over those four years, that's all now kind of backstory. Exactly. It happened. We didn't have time to stick that. But, well, to do that, it would have taken a lot more than six issues. And yeah. that, that first decade could have been six issues on its own. 
Well, and one of the things we discussed in the the book club, and I really recommend people join either the comic book page book club, the Brawlinator kind of hosts and stuff, or go form their own and, and, and whatnot, because listening to other people talk about the comics and discussing it with them will change your mind potentially on a few things. It really does. Yeah, because as we were going through this, I mean, uh, Andy Tom was like, yeah, the art was a little weak, or they should have aped the style, or he had a... Just a plethora of of comments on the art, some of which, honestly, yeah, his tastes are different than mine. I'm glad we had Mark Bagley kind of a consistent art style throughout. Andy seemed to be leaning towards this should have first issue should have looked more Ditko like and changed style for the '70s style, etc. And I'm like maybe that would have worked. And I certainly get creatively that's a, a very legitimate, not a bad way to go at all. Whether I personally would have liked it or not, don't know. But then there are one or two other things where. You know, I really enjoyed the story of the art overall, but as we were discussing it in the book club, there were one or two. I'm like, yeah, that panel right there, you're right. There's there's intrinsic flaws in that. You know, they, they blur into the background, they pop out too much, or, or the anatomy's off, or yeah, they should have had like Spider-Man's webs under the arms in the first issue because that was Ditko era appropriate and such. And it just, it really brought to light a number of things that, that just never occurred to me when I was reading the story. I know exactly what you mean, and it, I'm kind of thankful for – well, I'm thankful for all the book club members because I like each and every one of them, what they bring when mm-hmm. they come. And, and we have a core group. I mean there's a lot of people who show up. Like this time, uh, Travis Gervais, he's a Vermont Omnibro. Mm-hmm. He, he couldn't be there, but it's so cool when he's there because he'll have comments and he'll have things that he's read or seen, and his viewpoint sometimes different than mine or yours or whatever. But I'll tell you what, Andy Tom is such a, a blessing to have in that group because he's an artist. Yeah, and I so am not. Yeah, I'm the opposite of art. <laughs> and, but his perspectives and just what he sees and he's like, oh, the camera angle should have been here and this, this, and this. And I'm like, man, I don't even see that. But I'm like, thank you for pointing that out because it's cool and I never would have thought of it. I just never would have thought of it. Well, and there are a couple that once certain things are pointed out, you almost can't not see it. Yeah, it's so cool because we have experts on the art side. We have experts on, I would say you're an expert on the reading, writing side. <laughs> and then we have the hardcore base. Then we have friends. Mm-hmm. And then we even have Eric from Cowabunga, a.k.a. Deep Discount Comics, showing up. And he tells us, you know, he has insights on things and what people are buying and what people mm-hmm. are doing. In relation to this, this was really popular. Oh, I sold tons of this trade and blah, blah, blah. It's so just completely different angles that we come at things. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think that's part of why there are a zillion and one comic book podcasts out there. Yeah. Is everybody, when they read a story, and I think this is a great example where Spider-Man Life Story, you can come at it with a, a passing familiarity of the comic, maybe you've seen the movies, or you can come at it with a deep, rich history and understanding of Spider-Man's full history. And both perspectives can enjoy the story, but they're going to see such different things in them. Yeah. You know, and when we have like the book club, when I listen to a podcast, when I talk with you and other co-hosts and stuff on stories and whatnot, part of what I enjoy is there are certain things that I'm, I'm always looking at a comic through my lens, my perspective, my baggage, my reading history, my, my television and movie viewing history and stuff, or in some cases, lack thereof, and, you know, or my lack of a, a deep music background or not being an artist and stuff that all colors my perspective and what I take out of a comic, and everybody else has just such a unique vantage point on that, that there are certain things that 
I can't help but notice, and other people, it's like, yep, didn't even notice that, and vice versa. There was a few things, like when we've got Craven fighting Peter, and they're both wearing the classic black costume. Yeah. And it didn't really jump out at me when I was reading the comic, but when we were having the discussion in the book club, there are a couple of places where they do like a white outline around the black figures. Yes. And this is common because you've got to do something. You can't just do a black outline that fades into them and it just makes them bigger, you know? But the, the way they did it in a couple of panels where it was around the figures where they overlapped, but not outside of that, it just really changed the illusion of depth and layering in those panels. Yeah, it really does. And we had a, just a great discussion on that. Yeah, there was a whole discussion on literally where you use those white outlines and where it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And then even how you can use different techniques. Like I think they said John Romita used to use rain all the time. Mm, yeah. Because you could have rain bouncing off the the characters or the things in the panel to create that outline. Without drawing a white outline, they used rain as the same type of effect. Yeah, Andy Tom had a lot of really good examples and was showing, hey, they've got the rain here. They could have done this to you know, have this effect or whatever. And it's stuff that, again, as he was talking about it, I could go to. It's like, yeah, I've seen that in various places. Never would have occurred to me otherwise. Exactly. You're like, now that you said it, I have seen that, <laughs> but I didn't think about it. And I think that just gets to the point of like, you and I, we, we read a lot of material. So you tend to move a little, a little bit quicker and not stare at the panel that much, you know, that individual panel in depth. I think it's a little of that, but I think it's also, you've seen the videos with the basketball players bouncing the ball back and forth and a gorilla walks by and, you know, do you notice it? Do you not? Depending on what you're looking for. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think there's as much of that going on with comics as anything else. Definitely. What, what, what your perspective is, what's catching your eye and what you're looking at. Yep. Yeah. What are you focusing on? What are you not focusing on? And, and things of that sort. Yeah. For me, it was cool to to catch, oh, we're hitting the 80s, we get Secret Wars. You know, we're hitting, I think it was in the 70s, we got the Future Foundation, which didn't come until decades later. But again, in the context of the story, where they pulled it in, how they pulled it in, made sense. It made sense and it worked. So mm-hmm. you're like, hey, hey, I like this. <laughs> you know, and there were a couple of things that were potentially non sequiturs if you don't know the backstory. Like in one of the later issues, I think it was number four, we see Jessica Jones, and there's a couple of lines of dialogue implying that they're dating at this point. And for a lot of people, it's like, why would Peter be with with Jessica Jones? I mean, why isn't she with, you know, Luke Cage or whatever? But if you know her backstory and that she went to school with Peter. Yeah. And such. Exactly. Ah, that makes sense. That makes sense. And in this world, things are slightly different because it played out in a certain way. Mm-hmm. And that's not the way that the main comics were done, you know, where they were set to be in perpetuity and nothing really changed. The status quo always remained, you know? Well, yeah, there's certain things like when they bring in the Miles Morales Spider-Man in the sixth issue. Yeah, that was cool. At this point, Peter is an old man. This is very much a he's going to be passing the torch kind of a thing versus right now there's an age gap in the 616 versions, but not that big of one. No, it seems about like 10 years or something. I, I, you may, you could say 20 years, maybe, where like a 40-year-old in a or, or late 30s, early 40s versus like a 16-year-old. Yeah, somewhere in there. It's hard to tell. But man, you put costumes on them, the Spider-Man costumes, where you can't see them at all. You can't really tell. Suddenly, that age difference blurs entirely away. Yeah, but you get you know Peter in here, and he's wrinkled and gray hair, and the muscle 
you know, the muscles have mm-hmm. faded over the years. <laughs> just everything you'd expect with aging. And you got the young Miles Morales, who's what we see, you know, a 16-year-old kid coming up like Peter did back in the 60s. I think by the time we see him in issue six, he's a little older than that. I couldn't tell quite how old, though. Yeah, he, he looks like he's in his 20s or who knows. College I, age I, at the very least. Somewhere. It's hard to tell. Yeah, they, they don't come out and say, so we're, out, we're guessing. I think the two characters that are the hardest to deal with in this kind of real-time-ish storyline for Spider-Man, Aunt May and J. Jonah Jameson. Because they start out older. Yeah, Aunt May looked like she was 80 when in the first, in the 60s. I mean, not let's say 70s. You know, she's like 70 years old. But yeah, and J. Jonah Jameson, yeah, they, they age to a point where you can't continue with them in that storyline. Well, and J. Jonah Jameson is in some of this, but really not that much. They kind of told his story in the annual that we didn't really talk about too much in the book club. Correct. And Aunt May, though, when you start out with her being an indeterminate old lady, and then you add a couple of decades on top of that, I mean, visually, she really doesn't change at all in the course of the story. Yeah. I think the thing that changes the most throughout the story is Peter's relationships, because it mirrors kind of sort of what happened in the comics. You know, you got Gwen for a while, you got Mary Jane for a while, they introduced Jessica Jones for a bit. The one villain I was surprised we didn't see was Black Cat, because she should have shown up for a while, probably in the 80s. Black Cat would have made sense, and I was surprised not to see her in the book. It would have made sense because of the history that we've seen in the current run, you know, Mm -hmm. with with Spider-Man, and all the love interests have been touched on, and that was like a spot, a glaring miss, you know? Well, and when I started getting into the Spider-Man comics, she was the, the main love interest. Exactly, yeah. So, I mean, like, there's only so much you could fit in here. Yeah. And, and it was, even with those things missing, I would say it was an extremely tight story. There was not wasted space in here. Agreed. And it, it flowed very well, the story did. And I just think Chip Zdarsky, coming from being a straight-up artist probably about six years ago, five, six years ago, all he did was art. I mean, he did Sex Criminals with a Matt Fraction mm-hmm. and, and various other things. And then he flipped into writing. He was really showing his writing chops, and he'd taken over Daredevil, did a great job. I would say Batman is one of his flops currently. I'm hoping he pulls it out of its nosedive, but he really proved himself with this book. And I remember this is kind of where he got onto my my radar as far as like, oh, Chip Zdarsky's writing it. Whereas before I was like, "Uh, that's that guy who used to be an artist. Does he really know how to write? Because most artists, when they become writers, tend to throw in way too many words, and they're almost trying to learn as they go. Or throw in so little words because their art is so great, you know what I mean? That too, one or the other, one of the extremes. (laughs) Well, and the point about how well the story flowed, when you've got something that's covering six decades, that's pretty impressive to be able to do some time jumps, keep kind of the thread of the story, change up the status quo, pick up where characters left off, maybe they're more or less where they left off, maybe they're radically different or whatever, reestablish that quickly, move on, tell a bit of a story, jump again, that sort of a thing. It's easy for that to feel very kind of staccato and jarring, but man, here, it it flowed so well. It really did. And I remember reading it in the single issues because you know how they give you that, they almost gave you a recap, but you didn't need it Mm -hmm. because each decade was onto its own. And and I kind of remembered what happened before, 
but you really didn't need to. You know, you could jump into the 1980s and it would have made perfect sense for you. Well, and they jump within the decades. So it's not like you've got one series of events, you know, in one decade, nothing for 10 years, a yeah. couple of days of stuff, jump 10 years, a couple of days, you know, you get enough to fill in the gaps and whatnot. Correct. And, and I'll tell you what, for as short of a, you know, putting a decade into an issue, he was also able to write in a lot of emotional tones that resonated with me and resonated with you. We had talked about it. Mm-hmm. There's there's emotional hooks in here and things that get, you know, people, you know, got, like get watery eyed at certain points, you know, you're like, oh my gosh, that happened. Oh, this is good. So he was able to get a really good material out of each decade. It wasn't just like a recapping of the history. And this is not history. This is a different history. Yeah. And it was just such a fun exercise for him. And I, I'm thankful I had a chance to read it. Well, I think it was Brawlinator who one of his complaints about it was what a downer the story was because of all of the tragedy that Peter goes through in his life. Yeah, he did. <laughs> and I'm like, well, that's a fair point. But this is Peter Parker. Tragedy is, you know, his uh, his wheelhouse or whatever, so to speak. And take 60 years of it, cram it to six issues. There's going to be a lot of it. Yeah. Yeah, you go from the problems that he had with relationships, seeing Gwen die, seeing his uncle die, you know, clone problems, you name it. He's gone through a lot of tragedy over the 60 years. It was just compacted here, definitely. (laughs) You know, if I were to reread this, I would almost want to track how many deaths there are per issue. Yeah, that would be cool. Because they they completely ignored a couple of key deaths. Yeah. Gene DeWitt and and a few others, uh, Captain Stacy never gets mentioned, some stuff like that. So there's a lot more tragedy in Peter's life than we get here. But again, you can hit the high-level aspects. You can't go through all the minutiae in this kind of a story. Exactly. And, and you have some different deaths that happen in here because mm-hmm. yeah, you know, like Flash with, with the Vietnam War. Yeah. And that was, that was pretty impactful. You're like, wow, oh, that's a gut punch. And that was also a very emotional thing because I, I think it was Gwen who had a talking with him mm-hmm. about there's a going away party. He's going – He's going to Vietnam. I don't know if you call it a party, a going away party, let's say. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. And he, he's like upset with this guy who's been bullying him. And, you know, uh, you know, this guy. And she's like, hey, do you really want that to be the last thing he could possibly hear? Yeah. You know, think about this. And that, that, that was just a growth in the character moment, a maturity shown from Gwen, and something that you're not used to seeing. And I was like, seeing the hero be built and seeing the life lessons being taught. I thought that was clever. Well, and it goes to the history of the characters because they completely jump over the high school years. Yeah. So all of that is backstory that if you're not familiar with it from the comics and stuff, you're getting in that scene through exposition kind of. But it gives you the relationship between Peter and Flash. You get the relationship between Flash and Spider-Man in kind of why Flash is stepping up and enlisting and such. You know the whole guilt aspect with Peter and stuff, so with the, hey, is that the last thing you want him to hear kind of a deal, it resonates, you understand why. It, there was so much going on in that scene, it was just, it was incredible. It was incredible, it was powerful. And I, I just remember, I it still stuck in my mind when I read that, I was like, oh yeah, I remember reading that, and that was a few years back. Mm-hmm. And that for me, that's always the sign of a good story, when you read something, you remember you read it, versus I read something, I'm like, I read this before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't remember this. <laughs> well, and for me, where Zdarsky really knocked this out of the park 
was finding a way to condense 60 years of continuity, of story, of baggage into any sort of coherent, much less a really entertaining six-issue story by knowing what to – you've got to keep in. You've got to have the Flash Peter thing at some point. You've got to have J. Jonah Jameson at some point. You've got to have this. you got to have that. But also to the point where it's like, yeah, you got to have a lot of it, but you can't have all of it. So what do you jettison? Yeah, exactly. And again, a lot of the villains got cut, but there were a couple – again, Craven's Last Hunt is thematically referenced in this. And it's like, yeah, you kind of had to. You had to. Yeah, exactly. So if we were redoing it, I almost feel like I wouldn't ha- ask him to change anything because I feel like the story was that good. That Yeah, maybe I'm a, a big Vulture fan and I wanted to see the Vulture. But I think it was what he – the choices he made were okay with me. And I don't feel any regrets. I don't feel about bits and pieces that were left out. I don't feel like I, I, anything was taken away from the story. I felt like he hit all the things he needed to hit and wrote a really terrific book for anyone to read. And if, if anyone has not read this book, they need to go out and pick it up because there's a trade out right now. You can pick it up and read mm-hmm. the whole thing. It's just fantastic. And it, and it stands on its own and it is what it is. And I think Everyone who reads this who's a Spider-Man fan will love it. Yeah, I think it'll work for new readers as well as established. Yeah. Because there's nothing you have to know going in. Yeah, I agree. If, if someone picked it up and read it, and they didn't know all the minutiae and all the details and the continuity, they'd still, oh, this is a good read. Oh, this is cool. <laughs> well, let's face it. The only thing you really have to know, I think, going into this is Peter Parker is Spider-Man. The basic, he's got spider powers, you know, and, and really that's it. So... If you've ever watched any Spider-Man cartoon, any Spider-Man movie, any Spider-Man comic, and have a a passing familiarity with the character, and let's face it, if you're listening to this podcast, odds are you do, (laughs) that's all you need. You don't need to know chapter and verse, everything that ever happened to the character. You don't need to know what are they pulling from, what are they referencing, or what are they not referencing. But I just, I had such a fun time reading this. But it was funny in the book club how at times certain things were just getting kind of hammered on. My, I was adding in on this too, of you know the never dying Aunt May and and a few other things that uh, I mean there there are definitely things you can poke fun of with this in any comic story. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, <laughs> but but th- yeah, there were there were some things that people mentioned not liking, and, and, and that didn't bother me. And I remember when, when we first started. The first time I read this, I thought this was fantastic. I remember I thought it was like A plus material. Mm-hmm. And then when we talked and I reread it, and I was like, yeah, I, I was like, I'll go with a B plus. But <laughs> I'm like, you know what? The more I thought about it, I was like, you know, honestly, this is A material. <laughs> I mean, I, it, it's not perfect, but it's definitely a solid A, A or A minus. It's really, really good. Well, I'll tell you, for me, part of what helps define A plus material, and that's not something I see often, because to me, that's the, the, pinnacle of of great material that most people, not everybody, but most people would agree is, is that way. But A plus material is something you can read it, you can read it later, you can read it in a book club, put it through the ringer, and it still comes out with most people thinking, yeah, that was really good. Yeah, that was a book to read, the book to read. Yeah. And, and there's very few things that make it into that, that stratum, you know, of mm-hmm. reading material. I mean, for me, and I know not for you, but it, it's for me, Why the Last Man is I can read it three or four times, and every time I read it, I'm like, I love this book. <laughs> but Well, I'm pretty sure Eric Kawabunga feels the same way on it. Yeah, it's his favorite, too. And I was like, 
and I think it's just that cliffhanger type thing that they do at the end of everything. And he was a writer on Lost, the TV series. And Mm -hmm. so if you liked Lost, which I did, I did not like the ending of Lost, but it's similar to that. I had mixed feelings on Lost. There were some parts just like, come on, get moving, like the first few episodes of second season. Yeah. I didn't care for the ending, but I think I think it was fifth season, one of the best seasons of television I've ever watched. Yeah. For for each person, there's different seasons that they liked, which is funny. Yeah. Uh, Because some people loved the beginning, hated the end. Some people liked that, like you said, the fifth season. Well, that goes back to different people are bringing different things in, coming out with different things, and having that disparity of views, disparity of opinions. And again, the book club, having that respectful, fun discussion and and bouncing of those ideas back and forth. Ton of fun. Yeah. And one thing I was going to say, I hope this isn't too off the beaten path or anything like this, but the one thing I really do appreciate about our book club is we have people of various backgrounds. Mm -hmm. We have people who have different political leanings. We have people who work in different industries. We have people who probably different economic situations. And I appreciate that when we get together, we have a good time and nobody brings up that nonsense. You know, we don't talk politics. We don't talk religion. We don't, yeah. we, unless that's in the comic, you know. Well, we're there to talk about comics. Exactly. And that's what makes it so fun because I feel like sometimes like people talk online and and get you know, defensive or upset, or even on the Slack channel, very rarely, but in the past, we used to have little flame-ups and stuff. Not often, but once in a while. Yeah, but you get those people together online talking to each other and looking at each other on a video, and all of a sudden, they're best friends, and they're having a good time because we're talking about comics. And I really believe it's like that for most people. If you just put aside your stuff and you talk about things that are fun, that, hey, you like Top Gun? I like Top Gun. You like Karate Kid? I like Karate Kid. And all of a sudden, you have a good time and you start to like the person for who they are and not for this other nonsense that maybe you don't disagree, you disagree about one thing. Well, there's two parts to that. One is the talking. Yeah. The other, probably the more important part even, is the listening. Listening. Very true. Because I could have, you know, just as easily shot back to, to Andy Tom, oh, I, I, I disagree. I thought the art was perfect and just that was it. But no, I listened to what he was saying. I, I, learned some stuff. He had some really good points on a number of aspects of the story. And if you're able to go into these kinds of conversations with an open mind, not to say you've got to go change your mind, but I think a lot of us came out of that book club and other ones. We go in with one rating for the material and we come out with a different one, sometimes higher, sometimes lower, or just a different respect for the material of, oh, I didn't realize they were doing this, uh, you know, homages uh, to this other art or whatever, or referencing this continuity or, you know, something that was lost on me, I now see through somebody else's vantage point. And again, that's part of why I do this podcast, not that I have any great wisdom or anything, but sometimes I can at least give a different perspective on some of the readings than other people may have. Yeah, it's really cool. So I'll tell you what, man, I, I, I am so happy because you, you've come to like the last two or three book clubs. Mm-hmm. And we I think we had two or three before you joined. You had a couple. I did not do the Hulk one. Yeah, that was a lot. <laughs> did not do the Why the Last Man one that you guys did. Uh, there have been quite a few. Part of it for me is the time. Yeah, it, it, it's a lot of time. And we did Monsters. That yeah. was a Barry Windsor Smith book. And I'll tell you what. Yeah, it, it is a big time commitment. And that's why I'm kind of glad we leverage it. We do the book club and then we 
record on the book club, which is nice. <laughs> but uh, it, we've also, just like you and I, we're like, hey, let's try to do five or six issues or this or that. The book club, we try to cover like five or six issues. If it's a 18-issue thing, we'll do it in three meetings. Or we'll do it in, if it's 12 issues, we'll do it in two meetings. But we no longer do the omnibus because Brawlinator and I, and I think it was Chris, and uh, it, it was Andy Tom for a little while, and it was uh, Sam for a little while. But anyways, we got through the first omnibus. We lost half the people. <laughs> we got halfway through the second, and we literally tapped out. We're like, I can't, Brawlinator's like, I can't do this anymore. I'm like, I can't either. <laughs> That is the nature of book clubs. I did one on technical books at one of my jobs, and everybody was gung-ho, and invariably, at the first meeting of a book, you've got this great attendance. Next, it cuts down, then cuts down, then cuts down, so you're just down to the diehards at the end. It doesn't matter how long the book is or what the book is. you know. And what I think is going to be one of the things up soon, I don't know if it'll be next or not, but Superman, Batman, Generation stuff that John Byrne did back... Man, I don't remember when he did that. Was that the 90s or 2000s or whatever? It's great stuff. I'm looking forward to rereading it. But I'm curious if how we break that up, because it was four prestige issues, which I think are like 48 pages each, then another thing of, of about that length, and then a third volume, uh, Generations 3 or whatever, that was regular length, but 12 comics or whatever. That's a lot of material. It is. I think I have an omnibus of that material. And that's a lot. <laughs> Doing an omnibus is a lot. <laughs> but it breaks into at least four book clubs. It has to be, yeah, four or five, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and we can record on that too. But I mean, like, that's one where you'll have Sam there for maybe two or three. Mm -hmm. I'm not picking on Sam. I just picked his name. Or Vermont Omnibro might only make it for two of them or, you know, whoever, you know. Life gets in the way at times. Yeah. Stuff happens. I've missed a book club in the past and everyone has. But. I, I still try to read it, and then I'll meet with them on the next time. I'm like, ah, oh, sorry, I missed it. And then we, but nobody's accusing you of anything. We get oh. together. We're we're just hanging out. We gab for the first thirty minutes, just talking about comics and how you doing. <laughs> so if you're interested in the book club, we've got the channel on Slack for the book club. You can also just ask us, and we'll let you know what's going on and whatnot. It's a lot of fun. And if for whatever reason you don't want to commit to doing the reading, you can't make it to the the times for that or whatever. We are going to probably cover a lot of those things as back issue spotlights. If you've got questions, you've got comments or other things, we take input for these episodes. Yeah, we appreciate the questions. They're actually awesome. You know, I've gotten some good ones for the uh, the Legion spotlight. We've gotten some good ones on a couple of back issue spotlights, sometimes on the monthly comic spotlight. So if, if you're not in a place where you've got a, a group of friends locally or whatnot to chat comics about, you know, we're doing what we can between the forum, the Slack channel, and the podcast to, to help out on that. Cool. So, again, I thought Spider-Man Life Story was a fun read. I'm glad we Me did too. it because I missed it first time around. Yeah, I thought it was a terrific read. I'm happy we read it, and I think it was a perfect book club read. It was all done in one. Yeah, it's something that I think if somebody were to pick up the trade, it's easy to do in an afternoon. It's a, it's a page turner. It's not something you got to wade through. It just it pulls you right along. Yeah, fantastic stuff. If you have not read it, highest recommendation. Pick it up, read it. Now. Yeah, cool. Anything else? No, that does it for me. Awesome. Recording clips for the preview spotlight episodes is easy, and we've got an open submission policy for these episodes. Please send in clips to support the comics you love as often as you can. 
If you'd like to get email reminders for the preview spotlight episodes, you can join the emailing list on the main page of the comicbookpage.com website. The deadline is typically the second Saturday of the month at 9 a.m. Check the main page of the website for more information and the exact deadline for the next preview spotlight. The show notes and forum for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.